really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So as you've undoubtedly noticed, this is not our regular weekly episode, but is yet another bonus episode, and this time... I'm lucky enough to welcome a leading sports journalist whose work you can find in The Times, The Guardian, and The Telegraph, The Rugby Paper, and, the, and Rugby Pass, among other places. I'm talking, of course, about Stefan Thomas, based out of Cardiff. Mr. Thomas, thank you for joining us here on this Grow of the Earth. How are you this fine evening? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, thanks for the invite, and um, I'm looking forward to debating about the murky waters of Welsh rugby. <laughs> well, I, I typically ask my guests if it's all right to use your first names. Am I okay to call you Stefan? Yeah, absolutely. Call me whatever you want. <laughs> I'll stick with that. Uh, yeah, so I'm really, uh, I'm really grateful for you taking time to join us here today. I've been looking for an expert in all things Welsh rugby, and I'm pleased that one of my listeners reached out to suggest I get in touch with you. Uh, Dr. Worthy, if you're listening, thank you. You are aptly named. So, Stefan, can I ask a couple of quick questions just about yourself so my listeners get a, a better idea of what you're all about? Yeah, absolutely. Fire away. So how did you first discover rugby or has it always sort of been there for you? Did, were you sort of born with it all around? Yeah, I was uh, I was born with it all around, really. So I, I come from a town in, in West Wales called Armonford. Um, so I suppose the, uh, the closest um, professional team would be, well, either the Scarlets or the Ospreys. But back in those days, you know, it was before regional rugby should have had right. Clenetti, Swansea, Neath, I suppose would have been the big three. But yeah, um, my dad played rugby at obviously at amateur level. Um, I played rugby at um, you know, Minnie's age grade, um, uh, youth level. I wasn't very good at it, but um, I was always very knowledgeable about the game, very passionate. So I thought I'm not I'm not going to play um, professional rugby. Um, so I'm not going to coach it. So what's the next big thing? Or oh, you know, sports journalism. I lose my knowledge to um. Uh, my knowledge of rugby in in a journalistic sense. So yeah, I was you know rugby is a, a part of the fabric really of where I come from. Um, football mm. is big as well, but um, our history is probably intertwined with rugby. Um, it's it's just it's just it's just part of everything. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's always been a thing for me really, and um, you know I always wanted to be. Um, I always wanted to be involved in rugby. Um, and as I said, I used the knowledge I had to to go into a journalism, uh, started in news journalism to begin with, and then moved over to sport. But where I am now is where I always sort of wanted to be, really, as a, uh, a sports journalist um, specialising in rugby. Well, I would, that was actually my very next question. When did you realise that this is something you were going to be able to make a living doing? Um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult because you, you get a lot of people um, trying to become journalists and you know it, it they, they give up because of the setbacks so you you have to be you have to be quite thick-skinned you have to be very determined um 
the mistake a lot of people make is they they only go into journalism because they want to be sports writers and stuff. But you have to be you have to be prepared to learn your trade as well. So I am um, I was always good at you know writing um, and sort of commentating when I was when I was younger. So I yeah I, I did a journalism course in university. Um, then I did a, a masters in in Cardiff journalism school, which well, I don't know if it is anymore, but it was ranked the number one journalism course in the UK. So well, got all my my journalism um, qualifications, like shorthand, you know, media law and all that sort of thing. Um, as I said, you know, I was always doing sports journalism, you know, doing the the local rugby roundups, local football roundups, um, you know. But then I thought I wanted to start. I didn't just want to be, um, uh, you know, j- just pigeonholed into one section of journalism so i started as a news journalist for the south wales evening post in swansea which was then taken over by wales online so i sort of did my grounding there and then um i thought you know it's what i really want to do is be a sports journalist so there was an opportunity with westgate sports agency and um i reached out and i got a job and uh here i am that's fantastic um completely unrelated and uh, starting to get into, you know, the, the things I'm here to talk about. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for the second official season of the URC? Five, maybe. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of that going around. Only because, you know, obviously it's, it's my job, so it's, it's a lot of work. So it's a bit of apprehension <laughs> as well. But, um, no, I, th- I think... Um, you know, obviously, I'm excited for for the season to start, um, but I, you know, I, I think for I'm talking as a Welsh fan, yeah, or a Welsh journalist. Um, you know, it, it's there's going to be some. It's going to be a rough ride again. I think um, a lot of people will probably might switch off because I'm being a bit negative, but ultimately, you know, they they're they're underfunded. Um, they haven't got the uh, the relationship they need with their own governing body. So, um, you know, it's going to be difficult for them. I, th- I think there is some cause for optimism. I think the Scarlets and the Ospreys have decent squads. But um, so I am looking forward to the season. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I am prepared for um, for a pretty bumpy ride on and off the field. So do you, in fact, attend URC matches in person or do you kind of just watch them at home? Um, are you a fan of a particular region? I know you're based in Cardiff. Do you, you know, do you support the Cardiff? Don't don't call us the blues. Uh, or do you kind of try to stay more impartial than that? No, I, um, I, I attend as many games as I can. So I don't just attend the United Rugby Championship games. I, um, I attend, um, you know, Gallagher Premiership games, international games, uh, even um, some same professional games in, in the Welsh Premiership when I can, um, and, and I even do some some soccer as, as uh, you Americans mm-hmm. would call it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, growing up, um, I, I'll confess I was um, a Llanelli and then a, a Scarlet fan. But as a journalist, you know, um, when if if you if you really want to be a successful sports journalist, the best thing I would suggest is covering a team that you sort of. You know, you, you have no affinity to, and and you mm. have to be you have to be prepared to criticise. Um, not for the sake, but of course, you have to be prepared to, to give praise as well. But you know, you have to have that critical voice. So, you know, I'm I I I'm sort of very comfortable criticising any Welsh region or Welsh clubs. They're not regions, as far as I'm concerned, on, on the national side. 
um, not for the sake of it, of course, but you have to sort of, um, you know, deep down, you're all, you know, you're Welsh and you want Wales to win, but you, you have to let go of that. You know, if I'm covering England against Wales and England are the better side, then, you know, you're happy to say it. So, um, you know, obviously, as a Welshman, and uh, every Welsh journalist would say this, they'd obviously prefer Wales to win, but to be a successful journalist, you have to get rid of that sort of emotional attachment. And um, I'm, um, I think I've succeeded in doing that because the problem is, you know, a lot, a lot want to be sports journalists, but they realise it's, it's not a glamorous job. It looks Ooh. like it, but it isn't a glamorous job. Um, it, it's a difficult job 24-7. You'll have people ringing you up because they're not happy with what you've written and, and all that sort of thing. And, um, it, you know, it's it's really it's really tough. It's, uh, it's relentless and a lot of people can't, can't drop the, the sort of um, maybe their bias towards the team they support and, and they don't realise that journalism is an actual trade almost mm. um, in a way like carpeting would be like plumbing would be you know you have to know all of your trade and then you when you get a bit more experienced and you're qualified then you specialise so I, I've gone through all that and I, I don't really um, have an affinity um, you know to um to any particular team, but obviously I, I do want Welsh rugby to do well. But um, I'd like to think I'm a critical voice. That's mm. how I describe myself. So this might take a sec, just off the top of your head, but could you give us your all-time favorite moment as a fan of Welsh rugby? You know, this could be a, a vital test match with the national team. Uh, it could be you as a kid going to a match at, I mean, I don't know, Penarth or or anything in between. As a fan or as a journalist? As a fan. As a, so that you probably, obviously, before as a journalist, there's probably probably two, I would say. Um, there was one, so I'm talking before I was a journalist, I'm not going to count anything. So probably two. So um, <clears throat> there was a game um, at Stradi Park um, in Llanelli, obviously now been replaced by Park Scarlets. This is pre-regional rugby, but the week, the week, this is a is Llanelli against Leicester. Leicester were the European champions. They, they, it was two two thousand and two, I think, and they were, they, they was, they had the bulk of the England team, which would go on to win the World Cup, uh, over fifty percent easy. Uh, Josh Cronfell, the legendary All Blacks, then played for me, or Martin Johnson. So, the week prior to it, Llanelli had been stuffed in France by Perpignan, and everybody expected Leicester to win, and. Clenetly needed to win by a certain score to get into the quarterfinal of the Heineken Cup as one of the best runners up. Um, they absolutely murdered them. They, wow. they destroyed them physically. They took, they made Martin Johnson look like, I don't know, like like an amateur. They they were, they they were a serious team back then. Um, and I miss that about Welsh rugby. I miss, um, you know, I, th- I think that that's that's part of the weakness of Welsh rugby now. It's all about the national team. Um, whereas that should be the pinnacle, but I miss, and a lot of people associated with Welsh rugby miss those sort of days where the clubs could um, could compete to the best in Europe. And then probably I would have that slightly in number two position, but number one would, would undoubtedly be when Wales won the Grand Slam in two thousand and five, beating Ireland. Because uh, obviously, growing up, uh, it was it was pretty pretty grim to be honest. Um, I think mm. I was about fourteen when they won. 2005 slam but they you know i i remember the most of the 90s um graham henry era was there was a bit of a respite there but on the whole it was you know it was 
it, it, it was slim pickings. And I remember the 2003 whitewash, the, the whole thing with um, losing to Italy and mm-hmm. Colin Chavez getting caught smiling and all, you know, all the headlines which came with that. Um, so to win the Grand Slam then in 2005, first slam in 27 years, um, you know, the way they did it, you know, similar to the way they played in the 1970s, I think, you know, that was like, you know, the, the whole nation, even people who weren't sort of obsessed with rugby um, came together. So, yeah, I, I would say those two are the, probably my best memories, I would say. So, again, completely unrelated, because <laughs> I, I love random questions like this. Who has the best hair in Welsh rugby, and who needs a date with Josh Navidi's brother, Sam? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the best for fashion sense. Who's the best <laughs> hair in Welsh rugby? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, best hair? I was actually going to say Navidi, but I can't. There's a cop on there, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I, oh. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. I'm going through the Welsh team. In my Lewis Rees-Zamond. He looks pretty good. Well, I, I suppose so. I mean, I'm not. I, as I said, I'm not. I'm not really the best judge of uh, a player's uh, hair, but um, you know, he he's got plenty of followers on Instagram. So um, I'll just yeah, we'll we'll go with him as a as a safe bet. <laughs> but I'm no. I'm no. You know, I'm not. I'm not an expert. <laughs> so final sort of silly warm up question. Um, I saw a tweet that you had recently, sort of. You had retweeted it, and it was something hashtagged about pugs. Are are you a dog lover? Do you have a pug? Are you a dog person? Um, I, I haven't actually got a dog, but my my parents have a dog. Um, I'm not allowed to. Don't think I'm allowed a pet in this flat. I'm going to move soon, um, so I'm uh, probably will get one in the future. But yeah, I am. I am a dog lover. My, my parents have got a cockapoo. His name is Romeo. Um, so, <laughs> That's so, so um, yeah. Um, I, I am I am a big dog fan, so um yeah, I, we are, me and my partner are hoping to uh, to uh, you know um, get one in the near future. Well, while I kind of wish we were here to just talk about haircuts and doggies, uh, I've actually actually asked you here uh, to chat Welsh rugby. Uh, do you need to take an antacid or anything before we really get into it? Uh yeah, you know I'll uh, have to take some paracetamols now just uh, <laughs> just to line the stomach, but no, we're uh, we're all good to go. Um yeah, fire away. So by the end of the first year of the URC, I had somehow managed to sort of completely forget about all the absurd nonsense that was the hallmark of the early rounds. I'm guessing as somebody in Cardiff, it wasn't quite so easy to shake off. Um, looking back, what was your overall assessment of year one of the newly rebranded league? Um, I, th- I think obviously the, the key, um, you know, the, the, the obvious difference was the introduction of the the serious South African teams, I and mean, we we'd had it with the we'd had the cheaters and the kings involved. You know, the, the cheaters were competitive, but not not really contenders, and the kings were were cannon fodder. Um, but yeah, that, I think I don't I don't think the kings even exist anymore. No, well that sums it up, and I mean, it, it, it didn't really register in South Africa either. Um, so I think you know having the big teams in split split opinion. I think it depends when in where you are i mean the, the i don't want to generalize everyone but i think the irish um like it um the welsh um the diehard welsh fans they they don't like it i think it's going to take a lot of um a lot of persuasion to to get them to come around um there are two ways of looking at it i think 
they are top quality teams. Obviously, a South African team won won the first USC. I think the highlight has to be, well, not maybe not the highlight. It depends where you're from, but the most significant result was the Bulls beating Leinster. The way yep. they did that, going to the RDS, they just um, one of only only the third team, I think, to win a knockout game at the RDS behind. Wow, uh, the Ospreys and, and the Scarlets. Um, so there was a time where the West Regions were very competitive, believe it or not. But that the way they bullied them, just the raw physicality that they brought, um, I think it was a wake-up call that this league is going up a few notches in terms of quality. Mm. Um, and that's going to be hard to match that physicality. So that was the first thing. From a Welsh perspective, um, you know, th- there is a there is a, a bit of a disconnect between um the Welsh clubs and um the um you know a, a lot a lot of their fans um they have their diehard fans um and per head of population they are actually better supported than the Irish provinces which that's a fact oh, um, well that's, that's a nice no fact for you but obviously it's bums on seats that, that count uh, and they they haven't really got that um to the extent they need it um so I think what what a lot of Welsh diehard Welsh club fans want they 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 like the the local rivalry that Wales Wales is tradition is a club tradition whereas mm. Ireland is provincial so you know they they want they like their regional derbies they they ache for I don't want to sound too over dramatic they they long for you know um uh regional long for the old rivalries against like so Bath Gloucester Bristol where they can go back and forth in a day so mm. last season. And uh, one of the best atmospheres I saw at the Arms Park for a Cardiff rugby game was against Bath, a pre-season game. Um, mm. which, you know, it seemed seemed to be a better atmosphere than a lot of the um, the USC games. But well, you know, so it's going to take it's going to take a lot of persuasion. But the one thing I will say, you know, a lack of success is probably the main reason why they don't get big crowds. Um, mm. And and it's probably on a par with the lack of travelling support because if they were playing in the Gallagher Premiership, obviously. You know, Bristol would bring a lot of fans. Leicester would say it would solve that. Whereas, not many fans are going to be travelling from, um, you know, Dublin or, um, you know, Cape Town or Palmer, you know, to Llanelli or Newport for your run of the mill URC games. So that, that's a, that's a big problem. But ultimately, um, you know, this is the league that they that they've got. Um, I think there's a lot of growth in it. The South Africans bring a lot of money. Obviously, it's backed by private equity. So, in my opinion, CVC had um, obviously, they bought a significant share in the URC. They had two rows they could have gone down. They could have gone towards a British and Irish league, which is what I would have preferred. Um, but they decided to bring South Africa into the fold, probably a matter of time before they come into the Six Nations as well. Ugh, um, I, I keep hearing that rumour. Uh, I just don't like that. <laughs> so so it, 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 it was a very funny, funny first season. Um, but on the whole, I think it probably was the best thing that could have happened to it, the South African team winning it. But from a Welsh perspective, um, a lot of work to be done to win fans all around through. So, as you, as you mentioned, we had these four new teams. They looked pretty dominant by the end. Even the, 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 the lowest South African team still looked, you know, pretty strong by the end, especially. Um, and I was... I, for one, was sorry to see that not a single Welsh team qualified for the playoffs. Do you think that's going to change this year? Do you see any of the regions making it into the postseason? Have there been, you know, any signings that I might not know about that you think might benefit one of these teams? Um, who do you think has done the best over the last few months in terms of positioning themselves for a more successful season? I think it's achievable to make the playoffs, um, to make the top eight. Um, 
think both the Scarlets and the Ospreys came close to doing that, although I imagine if they'd made the playoffs, they wouldn't have lasted very long. Um, mm. I think you, let's, let's look at, at the Ospreys' the strongest team, the strongest team they could put out. Yep. You've got Michael Collins at full-back. Um, they see George North as, the, as a wing, whereas Wales see him as a centre, which is a problem. So North would be on one wing, um, Cuthbert on the other. You know, mm. they were the two wings who started the first Lions test in 2013 when they won. Um, so that's a you know, top international wing partnership. You know, you've got yep. Owen Watkin, um, Kieran Williams in midfield. Um, then your halfbacks would be Reese Webb and Gareth Anscombe. Up front, you've got Gareth Thomas, Dewey Lake, and France, Thomas Francis front row, very strong. Um, second row, you've got Adam Beard and Ali Jones. Um, then back row, you know, you've got Lydiet, Tipperick, uh, and uh, Morgan Morris. And I've, I'm leaving out, you know, Jack Morgan, who I think is a great prospect. Yes. Um, people like Sam Parry, Nicky Smith. So that team is good enough to compete at the latter end of the competition and beat a lot of the big teams. But the, the, the problem is the United Rugby Championship, for me, is a, is a competition which is is there to serve international rugby first and foremost, which is not the case in the top 14 in France and the Gallagher Premiership in England. Um, that's where you get with the Union Run competition. So the Ospreys are going to lose the bulk of their squad for large periods of the season. Now, they're well coached by Toby Booth. He's built some depth. They've got people like Will Griffiths, like a very industrious blindside, Morgan Morris, number eight. Jack Morgan, I think, will probably get left out, which is a shame. So he'll be a bit. So they've got a bit, they built a bit of depth. But the big, when the Scarlets won the league in 2017, they had internationals, but they had a team of players in the main who would go on to become internationals. So they had the right balance. And then the rails came off over the next few seasons because they produced too many players for Wales. So the balance hmm. is not right in Welsh rugby because they, they aren't. They aren't, they aren't compensated enough for the services of their players. That's the, that's the big, big problem that they've got. Um, so that, that's the problem the Ospreys have got. Get, if they can get the best team in the parking and beat any team in the league, including the South Africans, but the amount of times that that's going to happen is rare. What, what the Scarless have got over the Ospreys, they've got, um, they made, they've got better uh, overseas players. So they've signed Via Fafita, um, yep. ex-All Black from Wasps going to play for Tonga soon. They've got Sam Lousy, Thomas Lazana, Blair Thompson. Um, they offloaded a couple of internationals. So they might have a better balance in their squad. I think the Ospreys' strongest team is better. But the Scarlets might be able to keep it up, keep it going for a bit, a bit longer throughout the season. So I, I'm going to put those a better man. I think they might. I don't think they're going to compete to win anything, but I think they, they might um, they, they might do better than people think. I think Cardiff have an over-reliance on internationals. They signed Farley Town, Liam Williams, who are world-class players, but and there's no criticism of them, but how often are they going to play? Uh, mm. And their front five is an issue for me. Um, the Dragons have got a lot of new signings. Um, they should do better than the last season, but, you know, I, you know, we've been here before. There's a lot of false dawn. So I think the Scarlets and the Ospreys could make the playoffs. But in terms of actually genuinely competing to win the competition, um, it's just not going to happen. Well, one of the early promises of the URC was supposed to be 
hey, we're not going to interfere with these international windows. We're going to make our schedules such that that isn't a problem anymore. That didn't happen last year, I, th I think, it, in large part because of rescheduling and COVID and yeah. Omicron and everything. Um, is that going to are they going to come through with that promise this year a little better? Yeah, but but see, the, the issue isn't the URC is an issue to an extent. To, to be fair, Martin and I, he's always um, the chief executive, has always pushed this. And he has done something about it to an extent. There, is, there are far less games during the international period, which is great. So it should improve it. As you alluded to last season, you know, the Scarlets and Cardiff got stuck in South Africa and they have oh. to play the postponed games when, you know, during the international window. But the problem isn't the URC. The problem is a Welsh Rugby Union because they, they'll, they'll have to give most of their, or all of their Welsh squad players um, into the national training camps. Um, you know, up to a fortnight before um, a campaign, so they they'll miss some games, and then player release oh. isn't isn't great. Um, it is it isn't it isn't good at all. So that's that's the problem. And during COVID, the um, Welsh Rugby Union should have been supporting its professional teams. They would claim that they have because they negotiated um, a significant loan, CL Bills loan, uh, but. In England and Ireland, they, you know, they they invested in the game. They, the unions, the governing bodies took a hit so that the professional game could, its, its clubs could could survive and hopefully thrive. But the Welsh clubs have got, um, you know, they've already got to pay back five million pounds per per club. Um, it's called the CL Bills loan. Um, so that's that's an issue. Dragons paying back a little bit less. Um, so they've got all this debt on top of them, and now. Um, the latest proposal on the table is that, um, you know, the, the Welsh Rugby Union will um, release perhaps some of the money they receive from CVC from the Six Nations um, into the into the the clubs, but they they'll have to pay a lot of the money back. Um, some would say that this is still a big improvement, but it's still saddling them with debt. Um, and four years ago. Um, former chief executive of the Welsh Rugby Union, Martin Phillips, it was called Project Reset. He wanted to change the way that the, the game, you know, the, almost the way the, the Welsh clubs were governed. So since the dawn of professional rugby in 96, the Welsh clubs in the main have been propped up by very rich benefactors. Okay. Um, and they put it from then to now, or to Project Reset, they put in £70 million of their own money now rugby is not a lucrative sport, you know. They're, they're not. They're not. It's not like soccer. They're not going to get this money back, uh, or very few of them are. So they, they're going into their own pocket and throwing this. This you know the covering losses and you know they're, they're they're effectively funding these 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 clubs. Um, and now Steve Phillips, the Welsh Rugby Union chief executive, um, allegedly wants to wants the the benefactors to um, come back and sign a you know a personal sort of guarantor form. Um, that if things don't go well with the loan repayments, that they'll cover it. Now that that's make of that what you oh. will, but that's not going to please please a lot of people, especially people who have put a lot of money into into Welsh rugby. Um, and and it's just the, the, the whole the underlying problem with Welsh rugby is is the way is the governance structure. So you've got people on, so you've got the community game board, and you've got the professional rugby board. Um, but the problem is the professional rugby board, which is made up of um, the WIU chief executive, the chairman of the four regions, and a couple of independents, is um, uh, you know it, it's it's subordinate to the main Welsh Rugby Union board. 
which is a community game majority. So you had people like um, <clears throat> the former chair of the PRB, was a lady called Amanda Blanc, uh, chief executive of Aviva. Um, I mm. think is, she's one of the only foot, uh, female uh, FTSE 100 um, chief executives in, in the UK. One of the best business um, women in the UK. Um, and, and, you know, she, she left under a bit of a cloud. And, you know, we got a lot of really, really um, well-qualified, successful business people. Dragon's chairman, David Buttress, uh, set up Just Eat, for example. Very, very capable man. Um, and these people can't get any ideas through or any changes through because the WIU, main WIU board will knock it down, which has a community club majority. So the wrong people are in the wrong places. Uh, and, that, and that's that's the issue that the, the end of, at the moment we're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. There needs to be <laughs> there needs to be a absolute strong split between the community and the professional game in terms of governance. And until that happens, then as I said, the rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. But to go back to your, your question, <laughs> I've got, I've waffled a bit here, but. You know, the problem is, you know, player release. They're not getting enough for these players. During COVID, they, they received nothing, despite mm. and the community game had £11.5 million ring fence to it. So they gave all the players to Wales and they got nothing back. Now, you know, it went back up to £23.5 million, but um, it, it's almost like a master-slave relationship and that, that really needs to change. Well, uh, we talked about this just briefly before we started recording. Um during a very recent podcast of mine with John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, we chatted about what we saw as some of the problems in Welsh rugby. And afterwards, as I mentioned, a listener got in touch to say we had overlooked something significant, which is you're kind of hinting at here. Um, his message read in part, Hi, David, big fan of the podcast. Just wanted to say that in the recent URC preview, neither John or Craig, both were great as always, missed the key point about Welsh sides. Issues are based around the governance of the WRU staying firmly in the hands of amateurs. Uh, and that was when he suggested I get in touch with you to ask about it. And um, Flats and Shanks just had a podcast talking about this very thing. Um, I'm hoping you can explain that a little more plainly. It's still hard for me as an American to even, you know, it seems very dense and hard to grasp. It's, it's very complex. I'll, I'll try and be as simple as possible. So, you know, Welsh, the Welsh Rugby Union is the clubs, you know, the, the community clubs. Um, and they're vitally important. I'm not not saying that they're more that they're less important than the pro game, but they're both they're both different. But the problem is, so you've got the community game board to look after that end of the game, and you have the professional rugby board. As I said, you know you've got the the regions represented, etc., to look after the professional game. But any decision or any plan that the professional rugby board makes has to be ratified by the main Welsh Rugby Union board, which has. Oh. A, a majority as a community club majority to so the professional rugby board, which has had some of the best business people in the UK, Amanda Blanc, before she left, chair of the PRB, was the chief executive of Aviva, you know, one of the most successful businesswomen, it, it, it probably in UK history. person like that, or David Buttress, started Just Eat, cannot get, force any sort of change because... They could have the best idea in the world, best money-making idea. It'll go to the main Welsh Rugby Union board. And quite frankly, there are people on that board who have not got the best interest of Welsh rugby at heart. 
they, they haven't they only care about themselves and their clubs not the whole pie and that's the problem you need you need successful people successful business people running the professional game in wales people who know how to make money people who know how to maximize um you know the 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 brands of the of the clubs they you know that the, the, they're involved in what competitions to play in best tv deals etc etc and then you've got somebody like um you know nigel walker involved in the welsh rugby union again hugely successful um you know he's he, he's one, been one of the best sort of um sporting minds in in the uk and you know he 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 wanted to um cut the amount of teams in the in the same professional welsh premiership but you know down to eight teams i think it was i know nine teams sorry um but you know which would have been the the right number but again you know we've ended up expanding a league that's currently right not not really reaching its potential and a guy of that deck that that level of experience that level of expertise can't get his ideas through the right ideas the right plan because of self-interest and you know I, i'm going to go on again because you know you say in off air that a lot of people that you have on the podcast and this is not a criticism they they look at the national team they look at what's happening on the field but and then oh we had a bad game you know we had a bad season and we'll be better next season when no the problem in welsh rugby is deep it's deep rooted you know let's not close our eyes and pretend that we haven't got problems we've got serious serious problems you know wales won in south africa which was a fantastic achievement um but it has papered over cracks you know they lost at home to italy um and you know, I was wondering, did, did that huge historic win in South Africa sort of immediately just slap a band-aid yeah. on what you know how people had been feeling? Did people yeah. just instantly forget about the problems they'd seen for the last twelve months? That, that's a problem. I'm not, I'm not obviously. I was delighted the Wales won. It was a, it was a great achievement. But we we you know un, unless we have professional people running the professional game, administrators, coaches, etc. You know, we're not we're not going to get anywhere. Like you've got you've got this big problem now. We're under twenties teams. The team has been struggling. Um, it did a decent summer, but it was on. You know, they were on the the right side of the draw, the weaker side of the draw. Um, no criticism. They did well, but you know, let's face it, they're not not the same level as. You know, we haven't had a great under twenties team for about six years now. Um, but there's a big problem. You know, Wales always produces talent. But it's about nurturing that talent, even in the 80s and 90s. Obviously, in the 80s, you had the problem was players were going to rugby league because that was pro and we were amateur. But even in our darkest days, we've always had talent. But it's about nurturing them and, and, and providing them a level of competition where they can develop in, in, into top international players. And you've got the semi back in 2003, Gareth Jenkins, the former Wales coach, who's what probably you could argue the best, one of the best club coaches of all time said that the Welsh Premiership, when we went regional, um, the Welsh Premiership should be our version of the, um, you know, the Mitre 10 Cup in New Zealand. It was mm. called something else then, you know, our jewel yep. in the crown. Yep. It should be um, a, 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 a stepping stone to professional rugby, but it it's not, even though players have come through it, it needs to be a lot better. The gap between semi-professional and IWAC level is enormous. Even though the the, the Welsh, um, the four professional teams struggle, the gap is absolutely enormous. You ask any player off the record, on the record, the media trained, off the record, they tell you exactly the same thing. 
You know, they, they are better off playing in the English Championship. They learn a lot more there. They, 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 need, they need to bridge that gap either through A teams. They haven't got enough money for that. But my preference would be to improve the Premiership. Nigel Walker had a plan to improve the Premiership, to streamline the talent, to create a, a better level of rugby, a higher level of rugby, which would have, you know, pushed a higher level of player into the four professional clubs. But right. we'll slap down and we've got this dog's dinner of a competition. And, you know, every single time, you know, every season, you know, the, the clubs are struggling. You know, they're, they're not, they're struggling. The struggles are financial, obviously, because mm. they, haven't, they haven't got the same playing budgets as um, the Irish provinces have got, who spend a lot. Um, you know, they haven't really got the, the, the correct support, in my opinion, from the Welsh Rugby Union. So the standard of rugby will get less and less and less. And our younger players will be used to losing, you know, whereas a young Irish player, for example, will be in a winning environment. They'll be playing um, Heineken Cup quarterfinals, Heineken Cup semifinals, and that's how we develop as a player. And you go back to, say, 2010, when the Welsh clubs or regions as they were then were strong. Cardiff had Xavier Rush, Paul Tito, Ben Blair, top-end foreign players. The Ospreys had legendary, all the late, great Jerry Collins and Marty Haller, um, you know, Jason Spice, Tommy Bow, Theo uh, Tia Tia, etc. And the young mm. Welsh players were learning off these players. The standard was very, very high. And unfortunately, it's not the players' fault. They're not there. You know, the top Welsh internationals are, you know, they, they, often they can be with Wales more than the you know, the, the four pro clubs, and that's not a criticism of them. It's, it's a criticism of the system. I'm sure they'd like to play more for them. I've spoken to some of them. So that, that's a big issue. And um, the standard of rugby and the experiences that we're, that we're giving our young players is not high enough. And it's already catching up with the national side. You know, they had a backs against the wall victory in South Africa. Great achievement. But, is you know... It's been very erratic since Warren Gatton left. People are putting all the pressure on Wayne Pivak. But, you know, we had a golden generation of player. I'm not defending Pivak, but, you know, we had a golden generation of player. That's gone now. You know, we have mm. you know, we still have good players, but we, we need to, to fix Welsh rugby from the bottom up. And the problem has been it's a top-down approach. Um, so the first thing that needs to happen, the governance needs to change split the professional and the, the amateur governance so pro professional people can can run the professional game get the right academy systems in place get the welsh premiership part of the professional game not the grassroots game and then you know hopefully we can uh, we can improve at um uh, you know um, urc level and then the national side will keep improving and we can do well in europe again but uh, we're a million miles away from that at the moment but people need to realize that if this is not fixed, then you can kiss goodbye to any hopes of winning Grand Slams in the future. Well, it's it's my understanding that there was a recent proposal to make that the you know the split in governance more even, or in fact completely even. And of course, it just got shot down because the people who would have approved it are the very same people you're talking about. Is that right? Like you're not going to sign a piece of paper saying yes, I would like less power, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but the, there was the so the former chairman Gareth Davis, former Welsh international. Again, hugely respected um, in the world of sports administration. He, he realised this and he came very close to making this happen. Um, the clubs, not all clubs, some clubs are in favour of it um, that I've spoken to. Um, you know, they, 
they voted him out. And, you know, we've got um, Rob Butcher there now, who's by all accounts a great um, community man, but perhaps hasn't got the business expertise that um, hmm. his predecessor had. Um, you know, and he's chairman of a £90 million business at the end of the day, you know, is is being a geography teacher, does that qualify you to do that? You know, I'll leave you make your mind up. And it's not a personal criticism, I'm just, just providing no, no. facts. Um, but yeah, you are quite right, that 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 is the issue. But, you know, you do what, you, what they did in Ireland, you, you pay the professional clubs. You know, they've already got £11.5 million ring fence for them. I understand that going on a club-by-club club basis is actually not that much, really, but it's still mm. a decent amount. You know, they're not professional clubs, but you offer them something, don't you? But ultimately, as I said, until this this governor's change is forced through, it is a case of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. So um, things do need to change. Um, pretty, so um, drastically. how... Can that actually happen? Can this amateur body of governors and the professionals, can they split? Can they become two separate things and just stop interfering with each other? I mean, I'm probably, obviously somebody would have thought, would have done that if that, if it was that easy. Yeah. Well, that, that, that is, that is obviously the issue. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult um, f- to achieve that. Um, one way is, you know, as I said, paying, paying more money to the grassroots clubs. Um, that That's one way. Uh, I think you you need uh, an executive board who, um, at the moment, there's no mandate for strong professional clubs. It's all about um, huh. balance sheet, um, if you see what I mean. And they've they've obviously built um, a hotel, and they they hope that'll make money. And they, you know, you'd have thought you'd have hoped that they'd put that back in the game. But um, by the time that makes money, um, what will be left? That that's that's the issue. Um, you know, there needs to be a plan. You know, they, they need to create a, a rugby plan and fund it around that. But you are quite right. It's it's going to be very difficult. It's like Turkey's voting for Christmas. That's the problem. Um, nobody really has come up with an answer yet, but they need to offer the community clubs a deal where, um, you know, they, 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 that they're looked after financially um, and um, and they're safeguarded so that the professional clubs can uh, can run the professional game. But it's, it's, it's very difficult to achieve, but ultimately that's uh that's what needs to happen as far as i'm concerned well and uh, you know you already alluded to this um and you actually sent me this article too there's um just recently this additional news of the wru's sort of oddly timed offer of you know <laughs> i probably should have started with this i live in a country where the sum total of rugby coverage is nil so it's it's very difficult to discern what's what exactly but it's my impression that the wru essentially have said hey here's 30 million you're welcome and by the way it's a loan not a grant while meanwhile the four regions are saying well you know what that isn't enough to guarantee we can do any better so why would we further indebt ourselves am i close to the mark there at all yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you're you're pretty close to it. Um, you know, it's a moving beast. You know, things things will change, um, but essentially, yes. Um, you know, in in England and Ireland, they haven't um, burdened their professional clubs with debt like this. Obviously, um, people will say that Leinster make a lot of their own money, for example, through ticket sales and uh, and the like, um, selling shirts and stuff, but and being successful on the field, but the Welsh clubs haven't really been given an opportunity to do that, um, mm. if, if we're being brutally honest. Um, so things things do need to 
as I keep saying, things things need to change because if they don't, then the rot will keep spreading to the national side. I I do think that um, in terms of you know what what you're saying, um, you know with with, with the, that you know the 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 loan thing, you know the 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 governing they are the governing body. You know they they do they should be obviously they they need to look after their own finances first, of course, but their success is you know it, it goes hand in hand really long term with with its clubs if the clubs don't this is the point i keep you know a lot of people are trying to you know put forward that unless what what you know if wales go back to how they used to be in terms of being very weak they won't sell out the principality stadium and they'll be hit financially as well and the way mm. to fix this is to fix the the clubs you know, there's a light. You know, it's 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 a live conversation. I mean, we've had proposals in the Oakwell report. Um, you know, it was a report commissioned by the Welsh Rugby Union and undertaken by Oakwell Sports Advisory in a group in London. You know, and they they suggested that one way was to cut the amount of professional teams. Um, I wouldn't like to see that happen, but there there is an argument for it as well. Um, it it's it's very. It's it's very difficult, you know. The fact of the matter is, professional sport is about money, um, and a lot of people feel that the Welsh Rugby Union are spending their money in the wrong areas, and it needs to go um, towards the professional game because that's where the players are going to come from. Those are the teams that are going to produce the players for Wales to win Six Nations, to win World Cups, or go deep in a World Cup, which will make money, sell stadiums out, you know prize money, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, produce players for the Lions tours and the Union get money back from that and, and whatnot. So it's it's more a case of a lot of people feel that the Welsh Tribune is spending money in the wrong place and it needs to be mm. invested into the professional teams because the Welsh Rugby, the Welsh Tribune do not fund its professional teams. They pay them for the services of their players. They're a customer. So it's oh. what, happened, what happened during COVID is, you know, it's equivalent of you renting a few cars and not paying for them. You know, it, it's ridiculous. It, it wouldn't happen anywhere else. Um, That's bizarre. Yeah, but, but ultimately, they, they're independent companies, or three of the four independent companies, and they're there, the players are their assets. So um, I think, you know, you, they wouldn't want to... They, they have to release players because of World Rugby rulings, but it's, it's getting to a stage where they need to be adequately compensated so then they can build greater depth in their squad, sign better overseas players, which also help develop young Welsh internationals of the future as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, money is the money is the the root cause of everything, really, and they, they just haven't got enough of it. Well, I love asking this too, and I, I feel like you're going to have a great answer for this. If if you were someone who had you know the equivalent of fifty million dollars burning a hole in your pocket. And you were like, you know what? I want to fix this problem. I want to fix Welsh rugby. I'm going to throw $50 million at it. Would you be able to do anything? Would it make a difference? Would that money just get subverted to other places that you hadn't thought? Like, could you fix this with X amount of money? Um, well, it depends how much money you, you're offering, really. Um, I mean, the problem <laughs> is, if, if, you, if you offered money, if you offer, say, £50 million, it's going to get spent on players' wages, isn't it? So even though you need you you know you, you need to to increase the playing budget for them to be successful and the amount they spend on players it, that's going to run out so you, you need a sustainable model where 
this money is readily available every season. Um, mm. But I, I, I do think that um, the, the way, you know, you look at the 60 cap law, for example, right? I was in favour of it. And what people don't realise about the 60 cap law is it's actually there to benefit the national side and not, um, you know, the, the professional clubs because it's down to player availability. So people mm. originally thought, oh, you know, it's there to strengthen the regions, but it's not because they bring these players back and they won't, you know, they, they, they'll they hardly play for them in, in many instances. Um, so, you know, you, you know, and then they got this 80-20 funding split, split the national squad 38, where the union pay 80% of their wages and the, re, and, and the club's 20%. So that creates a bit of a, um, that's murky waters as well then, isn't it? Even though that, that money actually belongs to the clubs because it's the agreed method of compensation for their players. So, uh, you know, I think you, you'd have to restructure the whole way that Welsh rugby is is run. I mean, I, I don't like the NS38. I, I would rather them just pay, a, a, you know, a fee for the services of that player on a season by a season, um, um you know, by, on season by season, uh, I, th- I think, you know, I, I'd have, I'd separate the profession, if I could, I'd separate the professional and the amateur game and have an elite director of rugby, somebody like Arazi Erasmus, to um, to run the, the professional game in Wales, a bit like David Nusifora on Ireland, but a bit less power. And then I, 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 you know, I'd pump money into these teams and I'd have at least, I'd have a target of at least two of them competing to try and win the European Cup like a Munster and a Leinster, then you'd have a third like an Ulster, and then maybe the Dragons could be like a Cornot. So, you know, I, th- I think it is fixable, but you can't just throw one figure and think, oh, you, you know, it's all, it's all going to, your problems are going to go away. You, you need, you, you need your business plan to be centred around um, creating sustainable income year on year for the, um, for the professional game to thrive. That's what we need to do. You need to create a business plan where that money is readily available. Readily available. Um, so I think you know this is getting very deep now. But um, yeah, I think it is fixable. But at the moment, there, there just isn't the sort of mandate to fix it really. Well, if you were offered the job to head up the WRU, would you be like, "Yes, finally my chance to set things right," or would you be like, "You know what? I'm per- perfectly fine where I am. Thank you very much." Um, I think this is beyond me, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I, I think I think if, if I was given the job of um, taking over the WIU, I take it, and I'd appoint somebody who's actually qualified, unlike myself, um, to run it. Um, whose mandate would be to not just have a strong national team, to have strong professional teams and and strong grassroots level as well, because a lot of clubs are folding at at amateur level as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm not the man to fix Welsh rugby, but I can certainly identify the problems, which mm. some others can't. So uh, it's funny too. You you've already mentioned Pivak, and you you mentioned him in a sort of a positive way. And this is, but I'm not here to defend him. What do you feel about him right now? And I also just out of curiosity, what does Wales think about Pivak right now? Is he you know on the hot seat as we like to say here? Are people like calling for his head, or did that win in South Africa give him a new lease on life? I think he's been. Um unfairly treated in some ways um mm. you know they I, were tough I, tough shoes to fill i would not have wanted they, to be the next guy i forget one yeah it is very similar to um to david moyes replacing sir alex ferguson at manchester united wasn't it um you know you're never gonna bet what sir alex did he's just this 
virtually impossible. Yeah. They're not so going to name a gate after. They're not going to name a gate after somebody twice in a row. So, no, no, exactly. <laughs> so Warren Gatland obviously did a great job with Wales, but people forget he had the players as well. He did have the mm. players. You know, he had the the best quality of Welsh players since the nineteen seventies. Um, Wayne Pivak has good players. Um, some of the criticisms fair. I think he, you know, he should maybe should have done a bit better in certain games. You know, they certainly shouldn't have lost at home to Italy. Um, that that's for sure. But you know, he has you know he won the Six Nations in twenty twenty one. You know, he did he did something that Gatlin and Sean Edwards failed to do: win a test mm-hmm. in South Africa. People will say it's a second team, but Warren Gatlin came up against second string South African teams on a lot of occasions in Wales and lost. So. You know he deserves credit for that, but he hasn't got any. Um, so I, I, th- I think Pivak is. I mean, looking back, would I have appointed Dave Rennie over Wayne Pivak? Maybe, but hmm. um, I think the point I'm trying to make is I'm not saying that Wayne Pivak's the right man to lead Wales, but I'm saying there has to be a realization. It's easy for people to say, "Oh, sack Pivak." bring in Scott Robertson and it'll be fine. It won't be fine. You fix, you know, might be a bit of a honeymoon period, but ultimately, you know, he hasn't got the level of player that Gatland had. He hasn't got the depth that Gatland had. Um, you know, Warren Gatland got out at the right time. He's a very smart, he's a very shrewd individual. He got out at the right time. Um, and, you know, Wayne came in and he tried to play this expansive brand of rugby it was very naive in many ways and it didn't, didn't really work. He's almost reverted to war and ball now, as we saw in South Africa. Mm. Um, so, you know, he deserves some of the criticism, but not, not to the level that he's got it. And, you know, he does deserve praise for certain things. Um, but my, my point is that, you know, the national coach can only do so much. Have Wales got the cattle? they got good players, but, you know, they haven't maybe got the depth they had in the Gatland era. So um, he's not the most popular coach in a lot of sections. He's had a lot of stick. But um, I think people need to realise that, you know, he can only do so much with, with what he's got. And um, it goes back to my whole point throughout this podcast, really, that unless the structure is fixed, um, then, you know, whoever replaces Pivak in the long run, is not going to have the cattle to uh, to succeed uh, like Warren Gatlin did. Well, is you you talked about this earlier? What um, is that the point where the main leak is when you're talking about the Welsh Premiership not being of high enough standard? So players are leaking out into England and joining academies, then they connect with you know yeah. Premiership clubs, and and once they're with a Premiership club, they're pretty embedded and they don't necessarily want to come back. Is that the main leaking point right there? Yeah, it's, it's it's an issue. Um, I, I, you know, I think obviously I would never want to stop players leaving Wales at that. I actually think it's a good thing in many ways that players leave Wales at that age because they get the experience and they want to go to university. They grow as people. Um, Scarless and Cardiff are actually doing really well because they they hmm. allow the players. They can't stop the players, but they're happy for players to leave. They're working with the enemy almost. They can't contract the players, and they say, oh, "There you go, go to go to Hartbury, go to Sedbury, go to you know." Clifton, go to all these these public schools um, and get the education that you you've been offered that you wouldn't have got if you you know were still living in working class South South Wales. So um, you know I I'm not against that. I actually think that's that's a good thing. But yeah, you know you know I was talk I won't name the name, but I was talking to a profession a young Welsh and ex 
I think he, he just finished playing for Wales 20s. He's set, he's set to um, talk to anyone in the game. They say he'll be a big international. So he played in the... Um, he's played Welsh Premiership and he's also played a bit in the English Championship. And he said the level in the English Championship is far superior. You know, they won't say this on the record. It's far superior level of coaching. Um, and he just, he felt he learned so much more from a couple of months, a two-month stint, two, three-month stint in, in England than, than he did in, in Wales. And that's why Nigel Walker wanted an, a 19 Premiership to, to almost mirror the English Championship, I suppose, in terms of quality. Um, and that, that that's the problem. You know, we've got the talent, but it's just providing the right level for them to develop at. And at the moment, we, are, we haven't really sort of got that Um in my opinion, but I, w- I wouldn't say that, you know, the, the club, the professional clubs in Wales would like to keep the talent. Of course, I think the Scarless and Cardiff model is the best one, but I'm not, I don't think it's a, it's a huge problem that players go to university in England. I think, you know, I think that should be encouraged really. So, Stefan, you've already given me almost an entire hour here, which is just fantastic. Um, before I actually let you go, um, I do want to get you on the record for a couple of my uh, my episode-ending questions here. Um, you, you've actually already answered the first one. My, my first question was simply, um, does a Welsh team make the playoffs this year? It sounds like we have at least one contender, maybe even two. Um, if you can look into your crystal ball, <laughs> who is going to be the runner-up for the URC this year for the, the final? Runner, the runner-up. Um, I'm going to say the Bulls. Hmm, I like that. Bulls. And ob- the obvious other side of that coin is who's going to win the competition in year two of the URC? Are Leinster, Leinster going to be just raging all year yeah, <laughs> after Le- losing Le- two Leinster. massive finals in a row? <laughs> I think Leinster, as long as Sexton's fit. They, he, see, you know, there, he won't are, play a lot this season, but as long as he's fit in the knockout games. Well, actually, it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, you mentioned a player like Alan Wynne-Jones earlier. What are they going to do with him this year? Um, you know, they, they've already expressed we want him to be there for this next World Cup. So are they just going to put him in bubble wrap? Like, how do you tread that fine line, that balance between, well, we want to keep him healthy, but you also need to keep him in game shape and you need to keep getting experience to, you know, just be in, be sharp. How do you sort of manage that balance? Very, very tricky, isn't it? Um, if Arlewin Jones wants to make the World Cup at his age, you know, the amount of punishment his body's taken and the way he plays the game, he's relentless. Um, you know, you're going to have to wrap him up in cotton wool. Um, but see, going back to the, your point, uh, the point sorry, point I made earlier about having so many Welsh internationals, I, I remember covering a game about 18 months ago. It was the Ospreys against Newcastle Falcons in the European Challenge Cup. Last, like the last 16 of the quarterfinals, I can't remember. It was an knockout game. And when you're, it was behind closed doors because of COVID. Uh, and then when, when you're in the press box, the the press team will, you know, the comms team of the club will obviously give you the team sheet. And I remember like looking at the team sheet and comparing the Newcastle team to the um, Ospreys team. I was thinking this Ospreys team should win this game by about 30 points. They have internationals throughout their team. But of course, um, Newcastle, I think they had two internationals, Mark Wilson and I can't, I can't remember the second one. Um, even though they weren't of the same ability as the Ospreys players, players, and they didn't have the same ceiling, they, you know, they, they were a cohesive unit. They were well coached by Dean Richards. They play with each other week in, week out. They're well drilled, and their sole priority 
is Newcastle Falcons. The Ospreys came out all guns blazing, scored two tries. And then this was about a week or two, I think it was about two weeks, maybe, maybe even a week after the Six Nations in 2021, I think when Wales lost the heartbreaking game to France for the Grand Slam. Um, and, and, you know, you could tell that they, you know, it's not a criticism of the players, it's natural. They weren't quite at the races. You know, they, they hadn't been involved with the Ospreys for a while. They, they were still getting to grips with the calls, which were obviously going to be different from Wales. Um, okay. And he was just, you know, they ended up losing that game. Um, to an inferior team on paper, uh, and that that's the problem when you're so reliant on international players who are away a lot of the season. It's very very difficult to to get any sort of momentum into your season in Ireland. They have deeper squads. They spend more, so it's a lot easier. Um, but in Wales, the balance just isn't right, and that's something that really needs to be addressed. Player release for the for the professional clubs. Um, I just thought that game was just a prime example. An Ospreys team, we should have walked it, but just weren't quite functioning because these players hadn't been in that camp for a long time. So that that's the challenge the Ospreys have got this season. They've got the best squad of the Welsh teams, but how do they cope with losing so many players? That, that's the issue for them. So if you were in charge of one of the, Rel- the Welsh regions and you had your magical choice, would you choose to have the best player out of the four regions or the best coach? When, when, it, comes, when it comes to signing a player, right? When it comes to signing a player, um, a good signing isn't, isn't the best player in rugby. In soccer, it's the best player. It isn't. It's the player that's available most of the season, which sums up why the, you know, the, the issues rugby's got especially in Wales. Um, to answer your question, it'd be coach. It would definitely mm. be coach. Um, you know, to get the best, to create a culture, um, to create, get the right balance in the squads and just to get the best out of what he's got. Um, yeah, so 100%. Because if you just, it, it depends what player as well. I mean, I you know, if, if you're offering me an all-black or a springbok, maybe not a springbok because you lose them for a lot of the season, but if you offered me, I don't know, Bowden Barra to probably say yeah player but if they're offering me a senior Welsh international I'll, I'll say to you how often am I going to see this player mm. am I getting my money's worth not not criticism of the players just criticism of the structure so yeah to answer your question I would go for a coach so my final three questions are just <laughs> once again sort of look into your crystal ball kind of questions um, will there be three South African teams in the playoffs again this year Hundred percent. Don't even need to ask that question. Yeah, they, they will be. Yeah. Wow. Um, who will end up being the MVP of this current or this upcoming URC season? What do you mean by that? The most valuable player in the entire league. Valuable player in the entire league. I'm gonna go for Malakai Fekitoa from Munster. Oh. I think he's a really underrated player. He'd be there throughout the season. He's a top-class player. I, I think Munster will, will make the semis at least. I'm going oh yeah, to go Fetty Toa. So I'm going to go. I, that's a great shout. I love that. Um, <clears throat> so who out of the Welsh regions, just those four teams, who is going to score the most tries and who is going to score the most points? The Scarlets will score the most tries and the Ospreys will score the most points. Oh, I like that. 
What, what do you see as the main difference with those two things? Scarless. Last season, the Scarless were very good in attack. Um, they scored a lot of tries, but they, they leaked a lot of points. The defence was awful. So they got rid of Hugh Hogan, the defence coach. They brought in Gareth Williams, who I think will do well and be an improvement. So the Scarless are a very potent attacking team, but they had, you know, defensively they won't create, um, and they need to be better off the ball. They, they need to they need to become a. If they sort the defence out, that they'll be dangerous. But the Ospreys have a really strong pack, you know, one of the best packs. Their their pack can go toe to toe with anyone. It's just not an issue for them. It's um, player availability again, and the Ospreys didn't score enough tries last season. They got a new backs coach now in Richard Richard Fussell, um, because Brock uh, Brock James has left. Um, but and also you know I, they've what a smart signing for them is Jack Walsh from Exeter. I think oh. he'll um, I've, you know he's not a big name obviously, but I'm reliably informed that he's gonna gonna add a lot as a, a sort of second five eight like a as they say in New Zealand like a, a second playmaker. So I think he'll <coughs> help make them more. Um, more, um, uh, you know, potent in attack, but I think, yeah, I, I'm going to say Scarlett score the most tries and Ospreys score the most points. I think they're like the top it. two Welsh teams. Personally. So the, there's a Welsh player that I have loved for many years now. Sam Davis is he? He never seems to. I think he has like what four caps or something like that. Um, but he never seems to get a sniff. I, I don't think Pivac has even. You know, I don't think he's even thought about him. Is he languishing away in the Dragons? Is if he was on a better club, would he be a higher profile player? I think that's a, a fair assessment. Um, I think you know Sam was. I can't remember the year. I think it might have been twenty thirteen. He was the young world player of the year. Maybe I've got the title wrong, but he was won the award. He was the best young player in the uh, in the world at the time. Uh, guided Wales 20s to the final of the Junior World Championship, lost to England 2013. You know, he was the next big thing. V- very intelligent rugby player, great goal kicker, but he had a lot of problems at the Ospreys. The style of rugby didn't suit him. You know, he was competing with bigger. Turned down, I understand that he turned down a lot of, um, you know, attractive offers from France and England to go to the Dragons. Pivac had persuaded him to go there. Stay in Wales, fight for a shirt, but it hasn't happened for him. Um, you know, it they've they've been a shambles, the dragons. You, you know, I, I don't like to use that word, but you'd have to say that. Um, didn't win a home game last season. That you know, that, that's unacceptable. Oh, wow. and, you know, Sam, Sam um Sam is a very um capable player. He's a he's one of their better players, but he just felt he's stuck in a rut and he, he was back in every week, playing every week and Look at the best players in the world in any league. They don't play every week. It's mentally mm. really taxing, especially when you're losing. But the Dragons have... It's quite a smart signing, really. The same JJ Hanrahan, experienced oh. Irish playmaker from Clermont, Exmunster, Northampton. And they've got a really good young Welsh 10 called Will Reid. So there's more, more competition for Sam's place at the moment. Um, if I'm being brutally honest, I think that um, there are quite a few players ahead of him in the peck in order of the Welsh number 10 shirt. Um, Big guys obviously nailed on. Anscombe has finally got you. You sense he's finally back close to his best. Um, Patchell's still there, thereabouts. And I, you know, Callum Sheedy's in Bristol, and I really like Sam Costello from Scarless. I think he's a long-term answer. So 
sums up against it. And I, I think maybe when he's out of contract, I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see him go across the bridge to play in England or, or even in France. And I think he's served Welsh rugby well. And I think he, he probably needs to do the best for him, not for Wales, in, in his next contract. But I do think the signing of Hanrahan will will put will be will be good for him because he'll push him, make him fight for his shirt, and he won't have to back up every week. So um I think he's a good player, but I, I just think that um he hasn't been able to develop as well as he should have because of the environment he's in. Well that's exactly what I fear with a player like him. I think he has so much potential and then his yeah. team just keeps losing and losing and losing and he's just getting hammered week in and week out. Yeah. I, I just worry that a guy like that's eventually gonna say, you know what, screw it. Why why am I yeah, doing this? Well I, I would. I I'd be thinking that way. I, I'd be I'd be screw it. I'm gonna play in England, I'm gonna earn money in France or Japan. I I would He's, he's given his time to Welsh rugby and he, he deserves to, uh, you know, to, to experience new things if that's the way he wants to go. But yeah, I, I, I like Sam. I, I hope he goes, he goes well. But um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's been difficult for him because the Dragons have really struggled. They haven't had a great pack and he, he mm. hasn't really had the sort of platform to, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. So um, yeah, hopefully um, with the, with Hanrahan, um, having signed and Will Reed coming through with that, it'll, it'll take a bit of the pressure off him. Well, very last question, because you also mentioned Gareth Anscombe. When Gareth finally came back from what I, I think has got to be the worst injury saga mm. I've ever heard of. Um, I, I mean, I, I I loved him as a player. So much, I mean, a big surprise, like big headlines. <laughs> Fan loves watching <laughs> Gareth Anscombe. Um, when he actually finally made it back, I, I like the fact that they eased him back in. Um, they seem to rely on him pretty quickly, though. Um, mm. But now, you said he's close to being all the way back. Where do you think he is? If you were giving Gareth Anscombe a percentage <laughs> of former Gareth Anscombe, where would he be? And um, do you think he's going to keep getting closer to his old form? Or are you worried that, you know, all this wear and tear is going to take its toll? Yeah, I mean, obviously, only he can really answer that. I would say maybe 70%. Um, mm. You know, he, he had... Oh look, you know he, he had a horrific injury, he really did, didn't he? Um, um, my colleague, um, former colleague, um, Alex Bywater of Mail Online, did a, a cracking um interview with with Gareth Anscombe about uh, maybe about a year ago, a bit less. So um, I urge people to read that. I can't remember oh, all the wow. details, but Anscombe had um. If you, you know, can he, send that uh, to yeah. me, I will, I will I will put it in the show notes as well. I I would be yeah, keen no, to I read will. that. I will. He 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 went. He's gone through hell, you know, to, to get back on the field. Obviously, when he got back, people immediately thought, you know, well, he's going to immediately be back to what he was because losing Anscombe was a big blow for Wales on the eve of the 2019 World Cup. Gatlin said that, you know, he could have been the difference between beating South Africa and and losing to them in that semi. Big as a great player, but Anscombe, he brings something different in attack. He gives you an extra dimension. Um, and, and, you know, he, he had his struggles early on with the Ospreys in terms of coming back from injury where he wasn't quite at the races. You know, he you know he was probably way off where he was. He, you know, he, he was, in my opinion, thrown in a bit too early against New Zealand mm. last autumn. And, and you, know, the, the pre, you know, he's done exceptionally well to take the field again, let alone, let alone play test rugby. But I just think that um, he steadily began better and better and better for the Ospreys. I thought he was superb off the bench in that second test, a touchdown conversion to win the second test in, in uh, South Africa was was phenomenal. Um, one of the best kicks in Welsh rugby history, probably. 
Uh, I just think he's a, he's, a, he's a world-class goal kicker. He's not given enough credit for his goal kicking. He's every bit as good a goal kicker as Big in my opinion. He's a, he can control the game very well, but he's got so much vision, so much peripheral vision. They're both great players, Bigger and Anscombe. But when Wales won the slam in 2019, he was starting with Anscombe and Bigger was coming off, off the pitch. I think they're as good as each other. I'm not saying that he's a better player than Bigger. But when you have Anscombe at 10, you give yourself more possibilities in attack. And a okay. fully fit Gareth Anscombe, he's a rare breed of player where a lot of the time when you have attacking flair players or triple threat players, as they call now, you have to sort of accept that, oh, they're going to be areas of the game, like defence, where they're a bit weak. But Anscombe brings a lot of control and he can also bring, you know, he can play a very structured game, but he can also thrive in chaos as well. He's probably lost a yard of pace, naturally, but I just feel that that blend of Bigger and Anscombe can can take Wales's game to another level. So as long as he stays fit and he's managed, he can't play every week. I think, you know, I'm hopeful that Anscombe can 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 really boost Wales as they as they look towards the World Cup because he he can be the difference in a lot of games. Well, this may be way too optimistic, but as you say, he might have lost a yard in pace. Do you think he's the type of player who? who will then realize, well, I don't have this, so I'm going to then find these other things and add new layers to his game to sort of make up for that? Uh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's he's a very, very smart player, isn't he? He's a smart footballer. Look at, look at Brian O'Driscoll. In his early years, you know, electric 50, 60-meter breaks, explosive pace as he got older, had injuries, the pace started to disappear, so he evolved his game. He was a lot, you know, he, he brought this element to his game where he was excellent over the ball at the breakdown. He was, you know, cre- you know his offloading game improved. He just changed the type of player he was. He was as good a player as he was when he was younger, but he was just a different type of player. Lee Halfpenny's another, you know, when yeah. he was younger, blistering pace, had a few injuries, lost that. But, you know, he 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 changed into a different type of player, best positional fullback in the world. Um, he did the sort of things that people don't realise, but he was every bit as good a player because he's a smart human being, as is O'Driscoll. And I think that Anscombe's in the same mould. So, yeah, he may he may, be, may not have the, the athletic sort of explosive pace that he might have had when he was younger, but I think he's, he's a good enough rugby player to adapt his game. And I think that he is somebody that could be a, a real threat to teams he, the t- to teams Wales play against at the World Cup and um, he's you know if he's fit and they manage him well he'll be better by the World Cup you know I, I think that that's a big positive for Wales Well as you've already said you know doing what you do you can't really invest emotionally as much as you were you know before being a journalist but this summer that kick to win it for Wales against South Africa for the first time ever it, you can't tell me that wasn't an emotional moment for you watching that. Well, um, I work for an agency, so um, it was it was a lot of swear words going on, put it that way, especially in the first <laughs> test. So I, I had um, I had about seven orders. I, I did about seven match reports in the final whistle. They all had to be different. The first test was horrific. It, it was, you know, I, I, I got to a point. I was effing and blinding at the TV. My girlfriend had to leave the room. Not because I wanted Wales to win. I got to the point I didn't care, but because I was doing massive rewrites, I had to almost rewrite my copy several times over. 
South Africa, Wales were more than 19-3 up. Then they were, South Africa came back, oh, they're going to win comfortably now. Wales down to uh, 12 men. Wales score, oh, you know, Big Guy's going to kick. He misses it's a draw, so I'm rewriting it then. Valencia hits the, the, the final kick and I, <laughs> you know, about to jump off the balcony, basically. <laughs> uh, and then the second game was, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm writing my copy of same old Wales, Garland losers, blah, blah. Then they score. And to make matters worse, it's right in the corner. So I can't assume that he's going to kick it. i got to wait. No. Until, you know, and then he got people emailing you, where's my copy, you know, national newspapers. And and then, you know, he hits it over. So, uh, yeah, um, I was uh, emotional, but not in the way that you were, you were, you know, <laughs> that you were expecting. I was quite, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I well, test match rugby could have been thrown in the bin for all I cared after that. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it's, it was hard for it that way. <laughs> Stephen Thomas, that was just awesome. Thank you again so much Thanks. for joining us here on the Scrum of the Earth. Um, before you go, is there anything you you want to plug? Anything you know that uh, anything for which my listeners should sort of be on the lookout for? I just used oh, four just... twice there. Oh, look, you know, um, just. I don't really want to plug anything, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of good journalists in Welsh rugby. Um, you know, I, I write a lot of things, but there's there's some great journalists, um, you know, at the BBC, Wales Online, Westgate Sports Agency, you know, we, we come we come in for a lot of criticism, um, but, you know, everybody has, you know, the best interests of Welsh rugby at heart and, you know, they're, they're trying, trying their best to, to provide quality rugby content to hold people to account and, and just just inform form their readers, and it saddens me sometimes when everybody's got a right to criticise journalists, but a lot of people from places like Wales Online and the BBC, you know, they, they get a lot of personal abuse, and it's just unacceptable. Um, these people are just trying to inform people of the goings on in Welsh rugby, and there's a lot mm. of talented sports journalists in Wales. So, um, yeah, my my one thing I would ask people is, yeah, fine, be critical, but you know, let's uh, let's be let's be fair as well. So, um, yeah, um, that that's that's all I'd say. But it's it's been great to be on the podcast, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I greatly appreciate your time and your insight. All the best of luck to the Welsh teams this year. Um, I'm hoping that you're right that we get at least the Ospreys and maybe the Scarlets in there as well. That would be pretty exciting. Last year felt really weird to me seeing no Welsh representation after this regular season has ended. It just didn't taste right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I'm getting sick of writing about the doom and gloom of Welsh rugby, so it would, would be nice to uh, uh, cover a Welsh team. Uh, I think I covered the Scarlets in the Pro 14 final in 2014 where they lost, no, it was not 2014, I think it was about 2018 where they lost to Leinster, which was a great occasion. So I'd like to be covering those games again. I'm sure my colleagues would as well. So, yeah, fingers crossed that things can improve, but I'm not, um, I'm not optimistic, unfortunately. Well, again, I would love it if you would send me that article about Gareth Anscombe. I'll definitely share it with all of my listeners. And um, just thank you again so much for joining us. It was fantastic. I feel so much more informed than I did just two hours ago. Uh, no problem at all. Thanks for the invite. And um, yeah, I'll uh, be sure to listen to your podcast um, in the future. That would be great. I'll, I'll send you the link when it goes live. And uh, thank you again. That was fantastic. I hope to talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you very much.
Well, my friends, that does it. For this bonus episode, I I was so glad to be able to get some insights into Welsh rugby and just really enjoyed, you know, meeting and chatting with Stefan. He was fantastic. So please check out the article about Gareth Anscombe linked in the show notes. And as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. <laughs>